Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello my loves, welcome back to another episode of Unfollowing Mum. Today is just a solo episode, you've just got me today and I'm going to chat to you about a topic that I'm finding a little bit difficult to come to terms with, finding a little bit difficult to make my peace with and actually feeling a bit nervous about talking about on the podcast, which I don't know whether it's sort of a sense of still making my way around it and my noggin, still trying to work it out for myself, or whether it's more because I feel like there's almost a sense of betrayal with my mum, which I realise anybody listening might be like, what is she on about? Her entire podcast is about how horrendous her childhood was, about how dreadful her mum was, like what extra level can you go to? It ain't gonna get any worse. Well, I mean, it, it, it probably could. But this is something that I think I've always been fiercely defensive of my mum with and never actually allowed myself to acknowledge how fucked up it is. So let's just jump straight into it. If you're a regular listener of the podcast or you follow any of my social medias, then you will know that my parents separated roughly when I was about four years old. And I say roughly because that seems to be the thing that we say, but actually no, it was literally a week before my fourth birthday. I know this because I was reminded of it a lot growing up. So my mum was a single mum and I think what's made me a little bit uncomfortable about this particular topic is that I've only recently started to really view it in such a negative light and that is her dating and her relationship with men whilst I was growing up and I was in her care. And even saying it, I feel a little bit like I'm betraying her. Like I have something that I should be guilty about. Like, oh, you're making it sound worse than it was, you terrible daughter, which is bonkers. But growing up, my mum had a really fractious relationship with lots of men, actually. And we briefly touched on this when I interviewed Libby Ward from Diary of an Honest Mum about men coming in and out of her mother's life. And at the time, I was still very much in the phrase of, oh, well, my mum didn't really, didn't really do that, didn't really have that experience very much. There was almost an element in my mind of, oh, well, at least she didn't do that to me. At least she didn't introduce lots of different men. At least she didn't, you know, 
Again, we've digested this on the podcast before, how nuts it is that we as adult children look back at our childhood and even use the phrase, at least. I just, it's so minimising, but it is what we are conditioned to do, to look back and go, oh, well, at least. I guess somebody had it worse, at least. So it wasn't really until I did a podcast with Helen Villers and Katie McKenna, who've been guests on this podcast before. You can listen to their episode, I think it's number 10. And I was a guest on their podcast, Insight Pod. And we were chatting away, if you haven't listened to that episode that I'm on or any of the Insight Pod, then I 100% recommend it if you had a really toxic upbringing with your parents who are very narcissistic. Both of them are psychotherapists who specialise in narcissism and childhood trauma. So it's such an insightful but um, pod and it is really, really useful. But on this episode, I was chatting away and I'd said something about my mum going off to Bali with her then boyfriend who asked her to marry him whilst they were away. And she said no, because he didn't like me. And they'd put me in boarding school for them to go away for this, despite the fact that I had really bad attachment issues. Like I struggled so much to be away from my mum. I already had one parent who'd abandoned me. And I was really clingy. I was what you would have described as a clingy, clingy child. I slept in her bed, which was actively encouraged. And now I look at it, it was actively encouraged unless there was a man on the scene. And that to me speaks volumes. But for all of my life, I've never really viewed it that way. So I'd mentioned on the podcast, um, the Insight podcast, that my mum and her then boyfriend had gone off to Bali. She'd actually met him on Match.com, which is how she met like 99.9% of the men who were introduced to me growing up. And almost all of them, in fact, all of them that she met on Match.com were American. So they had to fly across the Atlantic for a date. That in itself is weird, right? That is weird. But putting that aside, we'll come back to it later because I haven't even got to the wowzers side of things here. When I was talking to Helen Villas and Katie McKenna about this and saying that I'd been put in boarding school, I'd got real attachment issues. And then my mum had turned to me and said, oh, well, this man, won't name him E, let's call him, E has asked me to marry him. But I've said no, because he didn't want you. He told me that you could live in boarding school. So that's it. We're finished now. We're no longer together because I have to choose you. You are always and will always be my main priority. And at the time I was like, wow, I am so lucky to have such an amazing mum. Not a chance in hell would I tell my children if some dickwad came into their lives, decided that they wanted to bosh with their mum and then was like, do you know what? I don't like the kids. Bang them in. Bang them in boarding school. We don't have to deal with them. You come marry me. We'll be happy. He was quite wealthy. And, you know, we live this fancy life. Why? Well, I would just wouldn't tell my children that that had happened. I would just say, okay, our relationships ended. I wouldn't put that on them. And yet that was what my mum chose to do because it framed her in a positive light. And Helen Villers pointed this out to me and then she made a remark because I had said that my mum had met a few men on Match.com and had had a couple of other boyfriends throughout maybe, like we're talking a a 10 year period here, maybe a bit less because she stopped dating altogether, which actually she also linked back to me when I was older, but again, we'll come back to it. And I'd mentioned to Helen about this and Helen and Katie had both said, 
you had men coming in and out of your life or they'd they'd referenced it somehow of your mum with all these these different relationships and yet she had the audacity to slut shame you which was part of the wider topic of conversation that we were talking about and I remember as soon as Helen said this wow all these different relationships with different men and she had the cheek to slut shame you I remember thinking no I must defend her that's not true that's not true my my mum was was really uh, quite prudish if anything when it came to relationships with men N- no that's not true yes it bloody was true there were quite a few men that came in and out of my life but what was more startling about them was how unstable every single bloody one was and again I think this is a little bit of what makes me uncomfortable talking about this because I don't want to be the one that is slut shaming or giving the impression that someone can't or shouldn't date as many people as they want that's not where my head is at at all I look back and I think maybe there were four men that were met on the internet and two serious relationships either side of that. Or maybe even just one serious relationship and one fling. But either way, none of that was any of my business growing up. But my mum made a point of making it my business. Not only by introducing me to these men, but the nature of which I was introduced. The instability of each relationship and how I was always suckered into that it wasn't her relationship so when you think about that over that period of time I personally I don't think that's that many people I think you go for it you date as many people as you want she was going through divorce that's just not my business and it's not my place to judge or to have an opinion on especially not as a child and yet I was always like a third person, almost like a a marriage counsellor or a relationship counsellor every single time within these relationships. So I remember her first relationship after her and my dad had separated. I disliked him intently. Turned out my instincts were right because he was exactly the same as my dad. Or so she said, they were had an on-off relationship for about two and a half years. And I met him frequently from quite early on. And I personally wouldn't want someone who I wasn't serious about, who I didn't feel comfortable and confident about, who I was on and off with having a relationship with my child who'd already had a really negative experience with her dad. I think maybe that in itself is not really... I'm I'm making excuses again. I know I am. I know what I'm doing. I was going to say that in itself is not really that big a deal. But yeah, it is a big enough deal because that child deserves better than to be introduced to several different men even just one man if it's not going to be a stable relationship if you're not sure about that person especially after such a horrendous divorce between her and my dad and everything that was going on with my dad at the time where he was in and out of my life there was lots of instability that shouldn't have been her priority at the time but it was and what I remark on now as an adult is how much of that relationship I was involved in. I knew that he was cheating on her. I knew when they went for dinner and his friends had been rude to her, all of these different things. And I am talking about a child under the age of eight. And I know I'm I'm talking about me under the age of eight. I know I'm kind of, sometimes it's easier, especially when I'm uncomfortable with these things, to kind of step out of it and look back on it almost as if it wasn't me. But it was me. And I think a lot of the ways in which I've had relationships with men as I've grown older 
have been repetitive of these patterns, seeking out men who don't treat me appropriately, who don't value me and who don't love me. And I can't help but feel a certain level of resentment for that, that I have followed those patterns. I remember growing up and looking at my parents' relationship and being like, that will never be me. And it it was me. I have been divorced. I have been in toxic relationships. I've had problems within my own current relationship that have had to be worked out and ironed out and will never be allowed to be repeated. I think it's difficult when you grow up thinking one thing about your parent and thinking that they were a model of how you should behave within relationships and actually realising, no, they weren't. A lot of the behaviours were really toxic. Moving on from this particular relationship that was off on, off on, where I was a therapist and then we had the one where she went off to Bali, which was when I was about 11. I was left in boarding school for two weeks. I knew he didn't like me. I didn't like him either and I made it really difficult. She would take great pleasure in telling me every time a relationship broke down how I was the one who made it really difficult for her to have a relationship because of my behaviour or because they didn't want a woman who had a child. And again, I look at that and I'm like, I just, I could never tell my children those things because children internalize that even if you tell them that's not your fault that's on these men that I keep picking that's on me for not being responsible in picking a man who is more deserving of being in our lives never mind us in his no children internalize that and that's exactly what I did So moving on from that, I'm going to tell you a story that I mentioned on my Unfollowing Mum Instagram page. (laughs) And it was one of those stories that I told and was like, okay, it's a bit weird. It's a bit fucked up. But like, you know, I'm (laughs) I'm sure it wasn't that bad. Everybody else had it worse. And people were just messaging me going, I'm so sorry this happened. This is awful. So when I was about, I must have been about 13 was I? No, maybe I was younger. Maybe I was a bit younger. She met a guy on, again, online. Every time she met somebody online, it would be an American guy. And this guy lived in Wisconsin with his, I think it was four kids. He was newly divorced. She'd been divorced for about, God, what are we? Must have been, uh, it must have been a time. I can't remember exact years, but if I was about 12 something like that then she must have been divorced for at least eight years there'd been a while that they'd been separated at minimum and she struck up a relationship with this guy online having never met him just exchanging messages and I guess it's like an early form of tinder but when you think about it all those years ago you know we're going back 20 years and I look back at that and match.com was just new I think it's still about um but her response was always the only men that come up are American and all I can think now is that she'd probably bungled the settings so she'd set American men and that was why all that came up for her but there were several that she dated online over a period of years this one admittedly is the absolute worst I guess depending on how you look at it from a safety angle but this particular guy she'd been chatting to for about six months there were occasions when she would be in bed with me in bed next to her and they'd be having phone sex which again is something that I talked about on the Insight podcast with Helen Villas and Katie McKenna and I I'd never, I'd always thought that was deeply inappropriate, but made excuses for her of, okay, well, I insisted on sleeping in bed with her. True. Um, I was a child who was really clingy and she was a single mum. She couldn't do much about it. True, but not an excuse. 
I was at fault because I was still awake and she told me to go to sleep. Very much not true. And I realise that now, but growing up, I was very much, okay, it was on me. She was just trying to do what normal people do. Absolutely not. I could never, as a mother, do that to my children. I was awake. I was aware of what was happening. It's disgusting behaviour. And it is what is called covert sexual abuse. I didn't know that. And again, I'm working through that in my mind. I'm really struggling with it. Um, Helen Villas very kindly taught me through it on her podcast and was like that is possibly not even covert sexual abuse probably just sexual abuse of a child that's just so unacceptable to be doing that in the bed next to the child and I remember times when my mum would talk about her sexual experiences with me I recall one particular occasion when she'd been in the bath and I used to go and insist on reading my books to her out loud probably the same chapters of Harry Potter books over and over and over again and she used to just let me and and listen and laugh and praise me for being able to read them and have a a laugh at everything and I think I could tell that she was a bit fed up of hearing the same things over and over again but hey on that occasion I don't blame her I must have read those chapters about 50 times uh, a month I was obsessed but I remember one occasion where she stood up she had a flush of liquid go down her legs and she declared oh that's him talking dirty to me on the phone that's not okay And I'm really having to make my peace with that because these are experiences that I remember. And I think the more I talk about my experiences of childhood, the more things I start to remember. And that's really difficult because sometimes you'll tell yourself, okay, that can't be true. That can't be right. But I remember it quite distinctly. That's not something that I could make up. And we are talking a child under the age of 11 here, probably younger, because it was during this period when she was meeting men online, having phone sex with men online, and then in this particular story, taking me to Wisconsin, enrolling me in school for over a week, and planning to move us there permanently for a man she met online. Now, I've never really thought about how severely fucked up that is. But I remember this particular guy, A, she met him, she was besotted with him, he was so wonderful to her, it was such a whirlwind, I'd never even spoken to him and the next thing I know, we're going on holiday, we're going to go and meet Andy, he's my but you must not tell your daddy, he will be very angry that I have a boyfriend because he just wants me to be unhappy. Now, in hindsight, he'd probably have just been really pissed off that you were taking a kid halfway across the world to meet some random dude that you didn't know online, um, which hmm, I can't blame him. But actually, we flew across. I can't remember which. We, I know we stopped over in JFK because these, that my very not fond memories of JFK was waiting around because there was such an awful airport. And we then I think had, I think we might have stopped in Amsterdam for it and then gone off to JFK and then got some kind of connection. I was too young, I I was too young to remember it or I've blocked it out, I'm not sure which. But we got over there and we were staying with him and his children for, I think it was two to three weeks. I'd been pulled out of school for it, but the school had allowed it without any kind of complaint because I was being... And I was being put into the middle school slash high school. And I can't remember the name of the high school. If any of you are familiar with Wisconsin, 
It was something to do with Georgia O'Keeffe, the famous artist who she did lots of beautiful floral artwork. And I just remember it being something to do with her that stuck in my memory. But I, I was put into that school for a week whilst we were visiting to spend days there. I think I only ended up actually going for three days, which was much to my mum's annoyance because she wanted to be able to spend time with this boyfriend of hers and go off and do things and spend time together. And I remember I was bunking with his daughter and initially she didn't like me at all. She was like, who is this kid that is sleeping in my room that's a few years younger than me? I'm not keen. I was reading Bridget Jones' diary at the time. No, she was reading Bridget Jones' diary. Yes, she was reading Bridget Jones' diary because I picked it up off her. By the end of it, we were like little besties, or I thought we were anyway. I absolutely loved her two pieces. And we were staying over the Halloween period, which is how I worked out that American Halloween is wild compared to English Halloween. Like, they do so much. And I don't remember masses of the trip. I do remember thinking he was really weird and having like a very bad vibe around him, even at such a young age. Like I remember he had a locked bedroom door and even that sounds really creepy just saying it, but his reasoning was that his ex-wife, who we met several times on the trip, was really intrusive, would come and pick the kids up and take them off with her for a few days, but she'd just walk into the house at any given time, want to try and go through things. He felt like she just dominated the space so he kept different rooms locked like how many red flags does that give you and I remember being told very much that she was someone to be wary of she was someone to be frightened of she wasn't a normal person she was a bit crazy and she wasn't someone that was going to be friendly with us she was kind of given the other woman vibe even though they'd been separated for an awfully long time and just they, they had a very difficult separation these are not things that a child of my my age should have been privy to let alone encouraged to feel and see like that's just bizarre not to mention my mum was not a young mum so by the time these things were going on she must have been in her 50s because she had me when she was 40 and I can tell you as a woman in my 30s if some guy starts telling me how crazy his ex-wife is, how their relationship is just so terrible, she's such a lunatic, I'm immediately like, no thank you, red flag. And that's not to say that some people do not have batshit crazy exes, I completely get that. And I think looking back on it, the pair of them were just really weird people who had a lot of unsolved issues. But I would never in a million years dream about raveling my own child up in that drama that is the bit that really baffles me there I wouldn't want to get involved in it myself but to then want to bring your own child your only child into the drama encourage them to see this woman as someone to be fearful of someone who was a bit loopy who was the enemy if you like for lack of a better word fly them across the world to meet this family and tell them that there might be a potential we'll be moving there and this person will be involved in your life all the time. It's just, as an adult now, when I see it this way, it is utterly baffling. Like, how I ever thought that any of this was normal 
is beyond me. And I just remember thinking, okay, well, these are struggles of a single mum. She's a single mum. She wants romance. She wants to meet someone. And these are the people that she's meeting. So I guess that's just par for the course. You know, she deserves love. And she does. Everybody deserves love. But now as an adult, I see it very much that everybody is deserving of love. Everybody's deserving of a romantic relationship if they want one, but not at the expense of their children. Your children are always your first priority. Your children are always at the forefront of your mind and to ravel them up in dating dramas is not something that any of my friends who are single parents or have been single parents or any of the people that I know across social media who share their experiences as single parents would be willing to do if they are decent, loving, caring, responsible parents. If they have their child at the forefront of their mind, it's just not something that they do. And it goes back to that, me not being at the forefront of my mother's mind, because with the narcissistic behaviours that she displayed, she was at the forefront of her mind, always. She was the priority, even though she would dress it up as me being the priority with like telling me about the boyfriend who wanted to marry her, who she turned down because, oh, she just couldn't marry someone who hated me and didn't want me around. That might have made me feel at the time like, yeah, partly I was responsible for her not being able to have a love life, but also feel like I was her priority and she was a good mother and she was making sacrifices for me. But it was all an illusion because why would you want your child to know that even if it was true? Why would you want your child to feel that way? Well, you wouldn't because it's an illusion. It was so one day she could turn to me and say, after everything I've done for you. And that is something that I know so many of us have heard oh so many times. But in reality, what she did for me in this situation was drag me two thirds of the way across the world or halfway across the world, whatever you want to call it, bang me in a middle school with a guy's kids that she was dating and had met online and never actually had any physical relationship with so that she could get to know him better, immerse me in this world, tell me that we might well be moving there away from all my friends, away from all the things that I love. She'd looked at getting a job in the hospitals as a a nurse, which is what she did for a living. And then, of course, when we came home, it was the same as it is every single time. It was Ghost City. Every time, regardless of whether we went across to meet the family and to immerse ourselves like we did with this guy, or whether they came to visit us, which is what had happened previously, the one that lasted the longest, E, who asked her to marry him allegedly. I know she went across to San Francisco where he lived a couple of times. Once, I think, was just for a short trip at San Francisco and I went into boarding school. And the second time was the longer trip where they went off to Bali afterwards, where she met all of his family. I was never involved involved in that. I wasn't invited because I wasn't wanted. I was seen as the unwanted addition to her. And then there were others that, again, I'll get onto in a minute. But whether they came to us or we went to them, the result afterwards when we parted ways was always the same. Tumbleweed, tumbling through a very lonely ghost town on a horror film because it was a shit show afterwards. And the thing is, it was such a shit show because I had to be the one that was there, that was listening to the tears, that was listening to her rant about how they've just dropped her, they're not interested in her anymore, it's so unfair. I remember in this particular scenario, because we'd gone all the way out there and things had been quote unquote so serious, and she was thinking of moving her whole family over there, I think she might have put the house on the market or she'd inquired about it, like we were really serious about it, or she was. 
And when we got back, he'd gone really quiet and wasn't really interested in her. And she ended up getting in touch with his sister. And he eventually got in touch with her and was just like, look, this is not working. It's not what I expected. You weren't what I expected when I met you. You weren't really somebody that I felt I gelled with. And just, she was devastated, as you would be, which is understandable. But the parentification that came out of that was that I was, I mean, listen to me now. I know all of these details. How would I know? Why would I know? Why would I know? We are talking about a child who wouldn't have been even in high school yet. We're talking about a child who I don't think I was a teenager. And to know the details of this, uh, it's wild to me that I know so much and that I, I can remember. And these are only the things that I remember because a lot of it I do block out. But that's the funny thing with healing is the more that you work on yourself, the more that you go through the process of healing these traumas, the more things that do pop up for you. And I don't think many people acknowledge that when it comes to healing. It's a really difficult part of healing, of going through the process of working on CPTSD, working through your childhood trauma is that these things start to pop up for you and that can be re-traumatizing. It can be really difficult to remember these experiences and then suddenly have to look at them from a completely different perspective. Anyway, when we got back, there was so much of the usual, oh, he doesn't like me because I don't look that way anymore. I remember one comment had been that he didn't feel she was what he expected because she looked older and she was a larger woman than he'd expected. He liked petite women, uh, which naturally was all about weight, then followed on with the diet and that kind of thing which I would then join in with and that in itself has left me with huge self-esteem issues and huge issues around my weight is that my mum's relationship with weight and dieting which is something that many 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 people can relate to regardless of whether they had a really positive childhood or a traumatizing childhood like so many of us did our parents issues with weight especially in the 90s is a whole other topic but this particular scenario was really difficult for her and I remember as well, there was quite a lot of projection of, oh, I can't believe he would do this to you. And I do remember on one occasion, we were stood outside of his house and I was on stairs and I was so uncomfortable. And I remember he was doing something in the yard, garden, whatever they called it. It was almost like the driveway. And he turned to me and he said, I know you have a really difficult relationship with your dad. I'm like, this is a guy I don't know. I've met him. I've never spoken to him before this trip, really. I don't think at all. I might have spoken to him on the phone once or twice. I don't think at all. I think I'd exchanged emails with his daughter, maybe. I can't remember. But this is a guy I, I, I essentially didn't know as a child saying to me, I know you have a really difficult relationship with your dad and he's not the dad that you deserve and he doesn't do the things for you that he should do but I'm never going to be like that. I'm going to be there for you. I, what the fuck is that? For a start, I would be deeply uncomfortable as a mother if any man was saying that to my children. Full stop. But I would be even more so uncomfortable if any man who didn't already have a long-term existing relationship with them was saying that to them, and I simply would not allow it. Never mind actively encourage it. And I remember her saying to me, have you had a chat with A? He's, he, he, you know, I'm, I'm so pleased that you're getting on and thinking, mm, I was really uncomfortable, even at that age. Because, yeah, I, I did have a really difficult relationship with my dad. I blamed him for everything. There was a lot of alienation from my mum's side, but also he was a really shit dad. Like, what kind of parent would leave their child in the situation that he knew 
I was in. Equally, he didn't want me. When it, I've said it so many times on the podcast, when it comes down to parenting, I got the trifecta of shit and I looked out really badly. And I, I stand by that. He was a terrible father. And this guy fed off that as well. So his intentions were always a little bit weird, I feel now looking back on it as an adult. But what I find really sinister now as an adult is not so much some douche canoe from across the pond who thought that he was going to get laid for a couple of weeks and then we'd just disappear into the other nicely. No, what I find really sinister now is the way in which my mum weaponized that when it was all said and done there was so much projection of I can't believe he would do this to you I can't believe that the man that I thought I who loved me like dude it's been a few months but the man that I thought loved me during this internet relationship has dragged you into this and told you how much he loves you too and that's just not fair no what's not fair is that you as the parent dragged me into it you as the parent put me in that position that wasn't fair and yeah this guy sounds the more I think about it like a real arsehole but that's irrelevant because I didn't know him but I did know my mum and I needed my mum in that instance and that was just that could conclude the entire trip really I I needed my mum and I remember a lot of the time I was spending with the other kids or we were with babysitters because mum was off doing other things and I've always held so fast onto our enmeshment and how she was over involved if anything but actually the more I reflect on my childhood there is a significant amount of neglect there be it physical neglect where I was left at home throughout the summer holidays because I didn't like um, the play groups, I didn't like the childcare, so I was allowed to be alone because that made me happier. Mm, no, be a responsible parent, deal with it, doesn't matter if I like it, that's tough luck, you've, you've got to be the responsible parent, you can't leave an eight-year-old alone. Or be it the emotional abandonment from my mum and emotional neglect when it suited her. But the rest of the time it was, we're so close, we're best friends, we've got the best relationship in the world. And it's such a twisted childhood that I look back on because in some ways it was enmeshed. It was total eradication of me as a person growing up in favour of her and what she wanted and in favour of who she was and what she saw me being. And then at other times, total dismissal. And it goes back to when we talk about narcissistic parents having that scapegoat, that invisible child, that golden child, all of these things. But when you are an only child, like I was, you become all three of those roles for your parent, depending on where that fit. And I've never seen myself as all three of those roles until I started doing the work and healing myself. The one other male experience that I remember was a guy who, let's call him Jay, came across to England to spend some time with us. And what I found weird about this situation when I, I reflect on it is that he, he literally came to stay with us. They'd been talking online and I don't know if my mother's choice of partners was because she was avoidant knowing what I know now about different attachment styles I look back at it and think were these unconscious choices that were made she always used to just say oh the only men on match.com are American and I, I think it's probably more likely that she'd cocked up the settings and was dating American guys because she'd set herself as looking for American guys I don't know but she always used to say it was just because they were American 
And now I look back on it, I wonder if that was a subconscious or perhaps even conscious choice because that way she didn't have to let them get too close to her. She could stay avoidant. She could continue with the victim mentality when things went wrong. She could continue to feed this narrative that she had about men in her life and how, again, I grew up being told no man is trustworthy. No man is ever going to treat you properly. No man treats anybody properly. Every man cheats. Every man does this. And FYI, I'm going to be honest with you. I know now that the men that I have chosen to have in my life growing up, the men that I've chosen to have in my life when I was younger, have lived down to that expectation. But that's because I've chosen the men that will live down to that expectation. That's a conscious choice. There are plenty of people out there who don't cheat, plenty of people out there who don't hurt you, plenty of people out there who do love you unconditionally and want to be a part of your life because they see your worth as a person. And when we're in these cycles of toxicity, we choose people who remind us of our parents and our behaviors and it's a subconscious thing but that's why so many people who have narcissistic parents have ended up with either narcissistic partners or narcissistic exes because you choose the toxic unconsciously because that's what feels normal that's what feels like home and it's not normal and it's not how your home should have been And I'm not saying if you have a rocky road with your partner, there has been infidelity or whatever, that that is automatically they are a toxic person. That could be their coping mechanism. And there are plenty of ways in which people can be accountable for their behaviours that are not toxic, that have been mistakes or that have been trauma responses of their own. That's completely different. I'm talking about the people who are toxic with their behaviours. And that's what so many of us went for when we were younger, when we were in our unhealed versions of ourselves or perhaps our unaware versions versions of ourselves because that's what felt normal. So yeah, Jay, he came across to England, stayed with us for, I think it was about 10 days. And I find it really weird reflecting now that he stayed in our home. This was someone who literally came into our home, completely invaded the space, who we'd never met before, who my mum didn't really know at all. She'd been talking to him online for a period of time, had had a few phone call conversations with him. That was it. And he was invited to come and stay with her and her young daughter, which just feels incredibly unwise unsafe poorly thought out and naturally when he arrived he was weird I can't remember exactly where he came from I do remember having conversations with him about the horses that he had on his ranch he was southern and he he was he was weird he was creepy there was bad vibes about him yet again and I do remember one occasion where I'd gone into my mum's bedroom early morning because she'd taken time off work and she was at home and I'd walked into the room I don't think I'd knocked and they were in bed together. I remember finding it so uncomfortable that it stuck with me and there was lots of giggling and I was told, you know, oh, you need to knock when you want to come in or give us a little bit of privacy, which is just utterly bizarre now I look back on it because this is someone who just suddenly appeared in our lives. It was, oh, I've been talking to him online for a period of time and now he's my boyfriend, he's here. And again, when he left, it was Ghost City and we had nothing to do with him ever again and we talked about how I would come across and visit and see all his ponies and I was excited about that and now when I reflect on these situations and the things that I've been telling you throughout this episode and I dial it right back to Helen Villa's comments on the Insight podcast about men coming in and out of my life it tracks That was a fair assessment of my childhood. Strange men that I was introduced to who I had 
no need to be introduced to. And despite my desire to always defend my natural reflex that was honed by my mum to defend her, to be her little warrior, I can now see it from a very different light. But there will still be people out there who will hear me talking about this and empathise with my mum and think, oh, you know, she was just a single mum, it's so unfair. How dare she talk about her mother's relationships? And I think that the point there is missed is, yes, as an individual, she's still a woman, she's still a person, she was still a human being outside of just being my mum. And as a single mum, I can appreciate that's made 10 times more difficult but when you have children, the priority becomes your children. And the thing with narcissistic parents is their children are never their priority, ever. And that was so starkly highlighted to me when I look back at these experiences. And also my desire to defend my mum was highlighted back to me that that is still something I have to work on. Because I still, as I said at the beginning of this episode, I still feel slightly uncomfortable talking about this, thinking, you know, this is feels like an additional betrayal. This was her dating history and that's none of my business. It shouldn't have been my business. And I want to scream that from the rooftops because... Our parents' dating should never be our business, but it was made my business because I was the one that was made responsible for the fallout. I was the one that was dragged around to meet these people. I was the one that had to pick up the pieces. I was the one that also kind of had to do things for herself when my mum was prioritising these men. And that, that sucks. And that's something that I'm sure a lot of you can relate to. That reminder that you are only the valued one that you are only the priority when it suits and when it doesn't you need to fulfill another role in order to earn the love and kindness of your parent and that should never be the case Whoo! this felt like it was a really long solo episode I know usually I keep them much shorter but I feel almost like a weight's been lifted off my shoulders talking about this and acknowledging it and I hope that you can hear that I'm still working through these things myself and that that's a work in progress that I'm still coming to the point where I can accept that this was my mother's behavior and look at it from a critical perspective as opposed to that desire to defend because that's really difficult to shake and if you're in a similar position where you look back and you think oh well it wasn't that bad or you're only just starting to wake up to these things or perhaps you just nodded along all the way through thinking yeah that happened to me and that was fucked up too then hopefully this episode has helped you to feel a little bit less alone because none of us are alone in these experiences and I think the time of toxic parenting and parental abuse being such a taboo topic and having such a fractious relationship with a parent is coming to an end because if we don't talk about it, we shroud it in shame, especially when it comes to these experiences where we were dragged into our parents' dating lives and there is a lot of shame and stigma already around these kind of things and around covert sexual abuse, sexual abuse in general, there is so much stigma it needs to end and the only way in which we can end that is by talking about it. Thank you so much for listening and I will speak to you again next week. I've been Harriet Shearsmith. You know where to find me. I am online. If you have any thoughts or questions about this episode, then drop me a DM either on Unfollowing Mum or at Toby and Rue. Speak to you soon. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.